My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me is a fan favorite, Lee Jessup. Hello, Lee. Hello, hello. It's nice to have you back. This is number, wait, is it number three? I think it's number four. Number four? Oh my God. Do I have the record? Uh, no. No, we've had a couple of, uh, we, we call them our, our Steve Martins, you know, <laughs> guys who've been on Saturday Night Live like so much, right? And, uh, and um, some of them I've got to have back. It's been years, but. Well, but, I know what I have to aspire to. Now. Yes, exactly. We've got we to gotta keep going, maybe one a year or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. Let's do it. So Lee, Lee, for people who don't know her, uh, she is the author of Getting It Right, an insider's guide to a screenwriting career. And she is also a highly sought after screenwriter career coach with 20 plus years of industry experience. Um, and she has been very, very helpful with many of my writers, uh, my, my clients, my students, um, helping them uh, form career, personal career strategies. And, uh, and her advice is excellent. Now, recently, Lee, you just <laughs> finished a new book. How are you feeling? I am so excited about this one. This one is the book I always wanted to write. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, it's called Breaking In, Tales from the Screenwriting Trenches, and it is a no-nonsense, boots-on-the-ground exploration of how writers really go from emerging to professional in today's highly saturated and competitive screenwriting space. So this is the book that talks to people who have really gotten, like, let's say their first big break Mm -hmm. and talk to them about how they got it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me more. The way that I looked at it, you know, I've been in this industry now a lot more than 20 years, which is kind of scary because who knew I'm that old? Um, But all that time, you always hear every time you sit down with a producer, every time you sit down with an executive, with an agent, with a manager, you hear, it's never been harder. It's never been harder to break a new writer. It's never been harder to get a movie made. It's never been harder to sell a script. It's never been hard to get a TV show done. You hear that all the time. But my experience, and I'm sure you share that point of view a little bit of like, well, we're seeing writers doing it all the time, Mm -hmm. right? Not everybody, but we're seeing writers doing it. So how are they doing it? Granted, there isn't one path, but I really wanted to look at where we are today, 2016, 2017, after the WGA strike of 2008 that really kind of changed everything. How are writers breaking in in this new climate? What are these real stories? I wasn't looking for superstars, right? These stories of, 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 unheard of success that happened overnight because a they're not true and b what do you learn from them nothing um so i really wanted to talk to writers who've really done it so i talked to 16 writers um including including aaron cardillo that you introduced me to who was so lovely and her interview is the first screenwriter spotlight in the book 
so generous and so lovely. Um, so I talked to 16 writers who broke in and have careers, right? Not writers who are featured on the cover of something or other, um, but writers who are now working in film, television, new media. So there are two writers in there, two or three, two, who broke in through new media. There are writers who came in through fellowships, writers who broke up through networking, writers who sold specs, everything and anything, writers who are doing assignments regularly, who've had movies produced, um, because I, I learn from the people that I talk to, and so I wanted to bring that information forth in the book, then marry it with insights from agents, managers, executives, studio network folk, etc. So I have, in all, there are 40 sources in this book, 16 writers, 24 others, um, and little old me kind of contributing my two cents as we go along. Um, but it really is meant to be a study of what is happening in the industry today. How are writers w- breaking in, working? What do they need to know? And were there a, sort of a, a, a stock set of questions that you asked so you could start to see the patterns? Yeah, um, there were a lot of those. Um, we certainly looked at different writers for different questions. So, for example, um, I interviewed a writing partnership. So I really wanted to know how this writing partnership works because it's been a successful writing partnership. It's uh, Tanya Bhattacharya and Ali Leventhal. I Mm -hmm. believe Tanya was on your podcast. Um, So really taking a look at at that beyond just how did you break in. Um, But with most everybody, there were some repeat questions so that we could see it across the board. So how did you study? How did you prepare? What were the steps that you took? Did you move to LA? Why did you move to LA? What was it like? Um, What was the first big moment? Um, So that the reader can really take a look at it and start to learn the commonalities, look at the differences, and learn. What were some of the commonalities? It didn't happen for anybody overnight. Mm -hmm. Even the ones that felt like, oh my God, it was so quickly. At the end of the day, we're talking about years, not months. Um, Everybody worked really hard. Didn't happen for anybody on a first script, right? There was a lot of writing and learning and writing some more and finding your voice. That was a big thing for a lot of the writers. Um, They all spoke about their education, about notes. Um, You know, I talked to a writer who started working at ICM I think in 2006 or seven didn't break in until 2012, 13. Granted, he was in the accounting department at ICM, but he came here from Atlanta, I believe, and uh, or South Carolina, and worked really, really hard to learn his craft and and learn comedy writing and try his voice. Um, and it took time, but he got there. And that's the commonality for all of them. It took time. Even the ones who broke fast, really fast, like meteorically fast, broke in two years, three years. You don't hear months. I talked to one writer, Joe Webb, who sold a number of pilots and in 2010 was hanging out with a woman who would become his wife. And he said, with all certainty, in a year I'm going to be staffed. He didn't staff until 2015. Um, you know, I talked to Aaron, who, Aaron Cardillo, who had significant mother and then went on to Fuller House. And she talked about going out with a script in 2009 that really positioned her for attention in the industry, not getting her first writing assignment until 2015, not getting her first TV show until right around that time. That is perfectly normal in this industry. And I think that the commonality was what all of these people are doing during that time, how hard they're working, and the acceptance of the time that it's going to take. What are they doing? They're learning a lot. So classes 
all the time. They're writing like nobody's business. So they're constantly writing and creating new stuff. They're building their writer's community. So their writer's class, other, other writers who are in and around their station, um, they're networking like nobody's business. Um, but they are looking at their writing as a second job from very, very early on, long before there's any expectation this will pay the bills. Um, what about this, this idea of finding voice? That was interesting when you said that, that they all really needed to find their voice. Oh, so yeah. in the meantime, as they're working and they're taking classes and, and doing all this stuff, a voice is emerging. Now, mm-hmm. when we talk about that, sometimes people mix that up with a dialogue voice, but that's not what we're, we're talking not at about. All. What defines writing voice for you? Well, it's an interesting thing because... I'll actually take it back a beat and and tell you that when I sat down with agents and managers and executives, one of my questions was, how do you define the voice? Mm. Uh, Which most people said, oh, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I know when I see it. Uh It's kind of like pornography, right? (laughs) Wait, huh? It's Congress's Uh definition of pornography. I can't exactly tell you what it is, but I know when I see it. Uh, I didn't Uh, know that. (laughs) I learned so much from Lee Jessup. (laughs) Um, I think it's the writer's particular craftsmanship. I know it sounds vague, but it's the wordsmithing on the page. It's the characters. It's the textures and the writing. Like, you know, there are certain writers that I read that I can tell from a mile away that it's their script. And it's not how their characters speak. It's how their characters are textured. Mm -hmm. It's how their page reads. Um, How And it's really, it's from action lines, um, all the way through to dialogue and character. It's a kind of, you know, when we talk about novelists and we talk mm-hmm. about a novelist's style, everybody understands what that means. You know, uh, like you said, the handling of the words or, or the use of certain phrases or mm-hmm. even the positioning of the words. Um, we get that with novelists. We have such a hard time wrapping ourselves, uh, wrapping our brains around the fact that it's really... That's what we're talking about when we talk about voice. Oh, absolutely. You know, is it's a certain style. Oh, yeah. And that style contributes to the genre. They're, they're kind of hand in hand. So if there's like a mood that a writer's good at, yeah. it's often a mood that contributes to the mood of the genre. Yeah, well. so it's, you know, it's like the Eileen Joneses of the world that you interviewed. Um, I know her stuff from a mile away because there's just a certain feel to her writing. Whether it's her dialogue or her action lines, I see it from a mile away. Greta Heinemann is another one of those, you know, that I just, I I know her style. It's, you understand that there's a certain feel to it. Sure, with comedy, it's going to translate to dialogue. There's going to be a certain flow and a certain punchiness um, with a particular voice, but it's exactly what you said. It's a style. And yes, in a world in screenwriting where you're not allowed a lot of style, um, yours does emerge in your voice. And I find that it's the writers who don't have a voice yet who tend to be very verbose in their writing because they haven't quite found their place yet. And once they do, they found their voice. Now, is there, um, with the, with the stories that you got from people breaking in stories, um, and you mentioned some had come through fellowships and some through web networking. So, but were there little surprises to each of these stories? Was there, was there that, that one thing that won them the fellowship or, God, got them to the right person. Is that um, what you find with any I of found that people are, bra- are even braver than I thought. Hmm. So, you know, you hear about Terrell Lawrence, who was over at ICM in accounting, you know, trying, 
trying to get attention, but not wanting to put his stuff right in front of his employers effectively and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. So being really crafty and finding a path around to get it to somebody else that will get it, that will then refer him to his, who would become his agent. Isn't that funny? It's kind of like when you're part of a family, they're the last people that like, oh, yeah. appreciates you. So totally. if you're working for the company that you most aspire, they, they see you as an accountant, they, you might need somebody else to talk about how great you are. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing. That So he did that. He went to another yeah, yeah, production yeah. company who would then he turn went, around and then talk to that company. He went to another writer who mm-hmm. served as a referral for him. That's so funny. So, you know, there's there was a lot more strategy for all of these people. Like Moises Zamora, how did he break? He broke through a guy by the name of David Davy Perez, um, who ultimately put his stuff in front of the people of American crime. But how did he get to Davy? They met when Davy did a panel and Moises felt that they connected and he was like, okay, I'll reach out to him on Facebook, but I don't want to ask for anything because it's just bad form to ask for anything. And then Davy was doing a class somewhere and Moises was like, ah, I'm signing up for that because then Davy has to read me as part of the class. I'm not asking for anything. Oh, interesting. And that ultimately did the trick. So to me, the bravery of that and that laser focus of like, here are the specific steps that I'm going to take that are going to work out for me. Like, I just think that it takes a lot of, a lot of guts um, because it can backfire or it can be just you invest your money and you don't get what you want or it can work and get you staffed on American crime. So not a bad deal. So, so in, in these cases, we are, we're talking about people who had strategies oh, yeah. who said, all right, that's the company I want to go for. Mm-hmm. That's the person I want to go for. Now, how do I get there? As opposed to, I guess, I guess sometimes we want to think it's like, The lucky break. Oh, yeah. You just got plucked out. Isn't it lovely? But that's the thing. You know, these people are working really hard, like Diara Kilpatrick, who's one of the people that I interviewed, had a web series called American Coco. Um, She was an actress prior, won awards, was successful in her realm, but she felt she had something more to say and did this web series that was hyper-focused. It didn't have an obscene amount of views. And when she and I talked about me interviewing her for the book. She said, listen, if you want me to tell you how to write a web series that gets a million views, I'm not your guy. But you know, her pilot got, I believe, less than 10,000 views, but she got it viewed by the right people who then signed her for Lit, who then got her on The Mysteries of Laura, who then got her her show American Coco developed by ABCD, which is ABC Digital, who then got her um, pilot deals with FX and Amazon. So you know, it's really being very thoughtful and strategic about what you try and how you do it and how it works out. And ultimately, it doesn't always, the first try doesn't always work out. All of these people try different things, but you know, you keep at it. I, li- I like what you said about the fact that, okay, only 10,000 views. I think that's actually uh, inspiring to, to people who are listening because sometimes, you know, we have a web, somebody on who's had a very popular web series. Um, then people think, God, well, how, you know, I've got to create something viral mm-hmm. in order to get attention. And you're saying, no, that's not really the case of it. It's like you said, getting the right attention. Yep. The, the, uh, lovely ladies who were on last week, or I don't know when this is going to be on, might be a couple weeks from now, <laughs> whatever. Um, they, uh, they're the creators behind uh TV land series called teachers mm-hmm. and they had a web series called teachers. And what they talked about was the fact that they were very strategic in letting a, a lot of different 
places know about this web series to get the right kind of eyes on it. So that that is is kind of cool stuff. Yeah, I think I mean to go back to your original question, it was like what was the little thing that that I learned that wasn't that put people over at the top. The thing that I learned overall was that none of it was accidental. Hmm. You know, none of it was like, oh, I did this and I didn't even think about it, but there it was, my career waiting for me. It was all very, very thoughtful and all very, very smart. I mean, these writers are all brilliant business people who really came to understand their brand and understand what they do and what they have to offer and develop their craft long and hard um, and were super strategic and more power to them because, oh my God, look at them. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm forming a little bit of a theory in terms of how people tell their story. Like on, this pa- on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of people that make it sound like their big break was lucky. Mm-hmm. But in your book, you're saying, yeah, you're finding out it's pretty strategic. Yeah. I wonder if that comes with like the verbal interview where you want to sort of seem likable versus <laughs> like, all right, Lee is asking me very specifically how I did this. Well, listen, I, I'm wondering about that. I, I ask about the steps and right. then what happened and then what happened and then what did you do? And then how did you do it? Because the lucky thing, like it sounds great, but how do you prepare for that? Like, how do you position yourself for that? You can't learn anything from that. So I really get down to what do you do? How do you do it? Like even people like Eric Koenig, right? Who wrote Matriarch was top 25 for tracking board. The script went on to send to, to sell to Paramount for half a million dollars or so, roughly mid six figures as Deadline likes to say. Was, that was his first step into this industry, right? From that, he got a big agent, a big manager, then switched managers, keeping busy. He was um, a mil- an army dentist, just left that military dentist and moved down to LA in May. But even with somebody like him who got this position, whose script was discovered, who sold seemingly out of nowhere and overnight, this is a guy who was very methodically working as a dentist during the day and writing scripts at night and on the weekend and a lot of them and reading a lot of books and learning everything that he could. And he submitted to one contest where he didn't surface and then the other one, he was top 25 and then very quickly the script sold. But again, it's not just, I didn't have anything to do on the weekend. So I wrote a script and submitted it to this one place and woohoo, you know, I'm a half million dollar writer. And again, I, he didn't tell me half million dollars. This is just me going nuts. Um, it's somebody who really studied his craft, somebody who really tried his hand at writing a lot, um, who wrote draft after draft, script after script. So his own, in his own insulated ways, did plenty before the moment came and he broke. Now, it seems like, you know, tenacity is a, a huge part of what links all of these, these writers, mm-hmm. um, potentially a thick skin as well, because if you're getting rejected, oh, it's yeah. very hard to get back up on that horse. Um, but, uh, I, you know, knowing some of these personalities where it's not necessarily like super ego driven people, what do you think it was? Did you, did you see that like everybody is connected maybe by a support system that helps them, uh, keep writing or is there something psychologically that, that lends to this tenacity? Um, specifically, my LA writers, my LA subjects are all part of groups and have been in groups and have, do, have their worlds about them. So I talked to Marissa Joe Sarar, who was 
who's a friend who was on the Fosters for three years and just went as, as a co-producer to Shots Fired. This is one who didn't break through a fellowship. Uh, she broke on the merit of a personal story that was highly effective to the Fosters, had a script on the blacklist a few months before, certainly helped. But she talks about um, her group that she formed back in the days of her project Involve Involvement. That sounded mm-hmm. odd, but let's go with it. Um, that became her closest group and her support system, and how important it is to have that support system. So I think specifically my L.A. writers all have that, and my, my L.A. interview subjects all have that in place. Um, I talked to Melissa London-Hilfers, who's in New York, so doesn't have quite as much of a community um, in place for her, and Eric was in the military, so he didn't have quite as much of that. Um, but I, I know Melissa personally, and that woman is unstoppable. Um, you know, interestingly, I have two in the book, two subjects who are lawyer, who were attorneys and then became screenwriters. And I think that some of the demands of becoming a litigator, um, really going through that, that and surviving that, if you will, to succeed in their field really translated well to what they had to do in screenwriting, that just keeping at it mentality, um, and that acceptance of rejection, um, so I have her and Barbara Curry, um, who both are ex-litigators who then became screenwriters, uh, and both successful. So I do think there's an interesting common quality there. Um, the rest of them certainly have the support group in place, super important. Um, they have a real understanding of the business, so even when it's frustrating when, you know, you start in 2009 and it's now 2015 and where's your big check and it's not there yet – they understand how it works, and they're willing to go for the long haul. Was there anybody who broke the rule of what we usually think of as the, the screenwriter that gets the breaks? Like, in terms of age, for example, was there anybody who came got their big break over, over, I, over 40? Anybody yes. over 40? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Good. All right. I mean, Melissa would tell you that she broke the rule of thou shalt move to Los Angeles because she didn't do that. Um, she's still in New York. She's still a New Yorker and, and a very, very busy lady. Um, you know, there are my over 40s in there mm-hmm. um, who Good. shall remain nameless just to right. be innocent. Right, right, but sure. I can tell you unequivocally, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but certainly they're, they're ones who broke the things that we think, you know, a writer should be. Um, you know, the, there are plenty of women in there. So, you know, it was important for me as a woman to highlight other women who were successfully breaking. Um, you know, every race, creed, and color is featured in there, which I'm excited about because I think it speaks to the, div- the diversification of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, age and location, both were broken. So, yes. Did, did your... Um did your managers or agents end up saying anything that surprised you? Or do you think that in reading this, you're going to hear what you've been saying basically, but from the horse's mouth? It's a lot of that. Yes. It's a lot of, listen, a lot of my information that I've gathered over the years, I sit with industry folks all the time and I, I'm a natural learner. So I'm autodidactic. I'm a bit of a sponge. I'm like, just give me the information, bring it on. I'm really excited about that. So a lot of what I've been espousing is the stuff that they naturally speak to me about. Um, I think you hear about it in a lot greater detail. Um, There's some great insights there. I think there's a lot of hard truths from representation, and some of them went pretty far out. Um, You know, I've talked to people like Jewel Ross, who is 
super blunt and lets you into his mind and, and John Zarazirny, who was on your podcast and, um, you know, most across the board, people were highly un, unapologetic. Not that they had to be, they didn't say anything highly offensive, um, at any moment in this. Um, but they were incredibly candid, um, and were very blunt about how they feel about things, about how they feel about contests and how they feel about, web series and how they feel about the role of the writer in the world um, that I think is just incredibly insightful. And the goal of the book is to hopefully prepare the writer um, about those things. So, you know, for example, I'm, I'm talking about contests and, and I'm thinking about Jewel Ross, um, who said something to the tune of, if you want to get my attention through a contest, then you got to win the biggest contest because I went to a certain school, not because it was in a certain state, but because it was in the very best school that I got into. So unless you can come in and say, I just won nickel, I don't care. Um, so things like that, that I think writers don't always remember, don't want to believe are true, um, that are said by these individuals in very eloquent um, and very informative ways that I hope will help enlighten some writers who are trying to do this for a living in order to arm them for what it takes to build their career. Do you think, do you think uh, it's easier right now for a TV writer than for a feature writer? I actually think that television is harder to break into. The, the direct path is a limited path um, as far as how do you get those jobs, right? So we have our two sure paths, which are only so sure in a world of complete uncertainty, um, which is the fellowships and assistant routes. Like those are the ways to get in to almost automatically get into a writing position. If you become an assistant, stick with it for seven years until you are called up to, uh, to the big leagues. Um, I think beyond that, it's possible. It's tough. I mean, I talked about Moises who did it without it. Um, Terrell Lauren certainly did it without it. And there are others in the book that also were able to create success for themselves. We talked earlier about Allie, um, who worked for you, who... <laughs> he worked for me. So we found out that, that somebody, uh, Allison Flyerl, which mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying her na- name right, uh, was, uh, you've been doing a little blog mm-hmm. outside of the book to keep asking writers what their break was just yep. to sort of keep keep these stories going yep. and um allison um who is successfully writing on school of rock right now and what yep. else and she she did a couple of episodes on bojack horseman and i looked at the name and i was like huh she was my babysitter <laughs> she was in 2010 she's like i looked up our little email I'm like yep yep she, she babysat for me so i've got to get her on the show so yeah so she was on conan and and then developed a web series so you know there are different ways but i find that television is a very tough thing to take a direct aim at mm-hmm. now i'm not saying don't because i think that you have to because it's so tough to crack i think that it's easier in a world where everything's hard to gain initial attention through a spec because in the feature world, there's a lot more reading for reading's sake than there is in the TV world. Um, and that's where you can surface with a strong spec that can get you out there, that can get you into those rooms, and then hopefully you can translate it. Um, John Z, who you interviewed, actually said something that I found to be really eloquent. He said that breaking into film versus breaking into TV is kind of like getting, going to the shop to work on a car to fix the car, which is the film world, or getting on a train to fix the train in motion. Ooh. Hmm. Also, also, I think with features, it's the good news is it's all about the words with a feature spec. Mm-hmm. With TV, it's about the words plus 
how you are in a room. Yeah. It's TV is highly personal. TV is what, what do you have from your personal experience to bring into the room, the room to deepen an existing show for writers who are looking to sell a pilot versus sell a spec specifically for new writers. It's a challenge because with a feature spec, all the business is on the page, right? With a pilot, it is the first piece of business and 50 or 100 pieces of business that you are effectively proposing. Um, so the buy-in is a much bigger buy-in from a network or a studio for a series. Um, so there are a lot of differences there. Now, I find that write, you have to write at the format that you love. Um, you have to write to where you are your best. So if it's TV, do TV. Don't, don't let market trends influence you because I don't believe in writing to the market. I don't believe in writing to trends. And, and I think that's a losing battle. You're always behind the curve there. Um, but if it's TV, then, then focus on everything it's going to take to be the TV writer that you need to be in order to break in. So, um, uh, you, you've decided to deal with writers who had only gotten their big break after the writer's strike. Yep. Um, we are either, either before this comes out or right after we have a, a, a podcast in the can about the writer's strike mm-hmm. because that was when everything changed. Yep. So tell me your point of view about why it was important to talk to writers following this versus versus getting talking to somebody who had their big break prior. Well, like you said, it was the moment that everything changed. I think it was a change that was in the works for years, but that was really the definitive moment where the industry went away from the one and done model. So somebody that can just show up with a spec script on the feature side, sell it fairly quickly, make some money, never be heard from again. I mean, the, the spec market had been dying um, up until that moment. Um, but it really was the moment that the spec market changed significantly. TV started to take flight to bring us to where we are today in peak TV, um, where web started to become an option, um, where we really started looking for those career screenwriters for people who are lifers, for people who are not looking at this as a lottery ticket. And so I really wanted to talk to people who had to play by these new rules as opposed to, you know, I had a friend of a friend who knew a guy who had a bunch of money and we went and made a movie. Um, We don't hear those stories anymore. That movie won an Academy Award. Um, We're not hearing those stories as much anymore. So I really wanted to focus on those stories of those career screenwriters for whom it wasn't a fluke, for whom it wasn't a quick, splashy spec sale. Um, because to me, they're, they're, the careers that they built, built into what this industry is looking for today, what it's doing today, and that's what I think we can learn from. So this one undone thing, just to define that a little bit more, the, the idea that we had like these rock star writers mm-hmm. or, or you know, somebody would basically sort of whisper, here's, here's the premise, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, it would be handed to a studio reader, me at the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the coverage done overnight and there'd be a bidding war yeah. in the morning. That, that because of the relationships that were, uh, I hate to say ruined, but affected by the writer strike and because of the money that they decided to not put out, mm-hmm. right? That basically people just got more cautious. Is yeah, what listen, you mean. there are a lot of, of added factors to it. Mm-hmm. So the prevalence of the internet, the fact that you could no longer play two sides against the other and keep people in the dark because now there's tracking boards all over the place. So people know what's going on. People can email and text. And, you know, there wasn't this environment of confusion that really is part of what helped the spec market succeed. 
That's Strategy true. Like there'd be those, you know, those agents that would like, I'm sorry, the agent's assistants, right? Mm-hmm. That might, might whisper to each other or executive assistants or whatever. Like there was a lot of power in that secret world, oh, but yeah, there is yeah. no secret world now. Yeah, there is no secret world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first place a script goes is the tracking boards. Script goes out, it's on the tracking boards the next day. Tell everybody about the tracking boards because, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of mythology with this. <laughs> Tell everybody really practically, what is that? The tracking board boards are databases. Um, tracking board has one. Tra- tracking B has another one. There are a few other ones um, that track new material that comes into the space, into the professional space. So usually it's material that is introduced into the space by agents and managers. Sometimes there's an executive who, who is pushing a package. Um, but really they just track the specs that come onto the market in the professional space. So a lot of writers think, oh, I sent my script to yada, yada. Am I now on the tracking boards? No, you're not. Um, is there some Excel spreadsheet in which they track every bad script in the industry? Not that I know. I've been hearing about it for years from writers, but no. That's that mythology. Yes. So, so when you say track the spec scripts, you're talking about ones that have come into the studio and gotten studio coverage? Ones that are going into the professional space, so it can be studio independent. Um, it's, it's features, so it's not going to be on the pilot side. Um, studio independent financiers, but something that is going out in a big way. So something that's not being released as an exclusive. Mm-hmm. An exclusive is something that you're going to release in a very, very small way to one or two people. If you're doing a very narrow send as an agent or a manager, you're going to be sending it out to three, four, five people who are the perfect people for it. They could be high-up executives. They could be decision makers. Uh, but the ones that are hyper-targeted, when you're doing a wider send, so 10, 15, 20, all the way up to 50 or 60 places, you're likely going to end up either as an agent man- or manager putting it on the tracking board yourself to stimulate it, to stimulate it additional interest, or you are going. somebody else is going to say, oh, hey, I got the spec today from... APA from Adam Perry. I'm, I'm going to share the information with tracking board. Go nuts. So, uh, so the information that would be shared is what? Would it be co- positive coverage or would it's it be? It's not even going to be coverage. It, it would be it's like going to be just, it title, went to these people. Title, log line, not even where it went. Title, okay. log line. If there's a synopsis, a synopsis. Who's repping the material? Um, any sort of additional pertinent information that usually these boards use to monetize the site so you can drill down if you pay more money um, and get, if there's any sort of package on the material, if there are any attachments, any elements, um, that's how the tracking boards are used. So this idea that once you get negative coverage, it goes on the tracking board and everybody knows about it is also a myth. Absolutely. I mean, who has the time? <laughs> who has the time to sift through all those records? I mean, you have to consider that there are roughly 60,000 scripts that are getting registered with a WGA every year. Mm-hmm. Assuming each one, half of those scripts attract a piece of coverage, that's 30,000 records. Right. That's a lot. Yeah. Who wants to look through them? This has been so enlightening <laughs> as usual. Look, here's the deal. If you want more Lee Jessup, you can have her live. Okay. Now there are ways there, and in person. there are ways to get her not live too. And we'll talk about that too. But let's first talk about the live event that is going to be here at the On the Page Studio February twelfth. It is a class on career and a class on the pitch. Because yep. you can't 
have your career unless you know how to pitch yourself and your ideas. So we do this hand in hand. Yes. So um, Lee uh, teaches. It's an it's an all day class from ten a.m. to five p.m. Lee will be teaching the business side. Mm -hmm. I will be teaching the pitching side, and then we have a guest speaker, uh, literary manager Jeff Portnoy. Who, by the way, just had a huge spec sale this oh, weekend. Yeah? Oh, yeah? The Keeper of the Diary. Oh, cool. Um, which is an Evan Kilgore script. I'm blanking on the name of his writing partner, and I believe David Boxerbaum is the agent on it. Um, it is about getting the Anne Frank Diary into publication. Wow. And it just literally just happened like 48 hours ago. Yay. And Jeff is one of these super exciting, up-and-coming, hustling managers. I know you and I share a client with him. I have like, like Actually, we share... Well, I have about three writers with I him. I have six with him or seven with him. Oh, with yeah? Him. Well, it, well. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had four. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've lost count. It's uh, okay. I'm sure all of, all of the other six have been through your doors at some point or, well, they should have been. Um, but he's one of these, like, you and I get to see it how up close. He's one of these hustling, hungry, young manager who's really making strides. He had two or three scripts on the blacklist this past year. He had a big, another big, big flashy spec sale in October. Um, so he's one of these guys who's really out there and breaking new writers and working his butt off. And he, he was on the show, uh, years ago before he went out on his own and he, it was, it was still a really great show. Like he knew exactly what he was talking about. And this was before he like Oh, he's super became smart. a private manager. So anyway, he's going to be our yep. guest speaker. Yep. So it's the three of us, 10 to five. It's, uh, it's February 12th. That's a Sunday. It's 200 bucks. Um, go to on the page.tv, sign up for it. Uh, the classroom here, we really like 25 people fills it. So if yep. you're, if you're interested, you know, sign up. Okay, yeah, come on down. <laughs> um, there are also ways that people can uh, work with you, Lee. Let's say that they're not in Los Angeles. Right. Tell everybody about some of your services and how they get in touch with you. Sure. So I coach writers all the way from ones who are just starting out and building the body of work, all the way through to people who you know write major movies for studios. Um, and everything in between. And my heart is really with the emerging writer, the writers who break well with me. That's, that's where I get my big kicks um, on the job. So it's a highly gratifying job. Um, they can find me through my website. I work either um, session by session on an, or on a, an annual basis. Look at me as a guidance counselor for screenwriting, really. I mean, it's, my job is to kind of identify the next goalpost and figure out how to get us to, to that um, identify the moves that that one needs to make in order to get there, succeed there, and then identify the next goalpost and move towards that. Um, every client is different, so every writing or every coaching relationship is different. I do have a January promo that is going to end on January 31st, which is my ultimate coaching bundle that includes unlimited coaching, a copy of my book, um, getting it right, and a membership to my online screenwriter support group that you were a guest on roughly a year ago. Yeah. (laughs) It was the two of us on screen. Like, I think my nose was on it pretty much. (laughs) I think I kept like shifting in my seat or something. I have a a hard time with cameras. Well, it's a lovely nose. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I'm okay with it. It's all right. (laughs) Thank you again, Lee, for, for being here. And did we say the website? Wait. Oh, the website. Yeah. LeeJessup.com. Really simple. Lee is spelled L-E-E-J-E-S-S-U-P. 
Com. Everybody go to it. And everybody come to class. We want to see you here. Thanks again to Lee Jessup. Go to, uh, well, breaking in, Tales from the Screenwriting Trenches. When will it be out? When will the book be out? It's out March 8th. It's actually available on Amazon for a pre-order. Okay. So right now? Like you right can now. Order. It awesome. is sitting there waiting to be bought. Okay. Um, our class is coming up in February. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. will be so much fun. They, we have, you won't have any books that you can sign there. I won't. I have my old book. Oh, yeah. Bring your old book. <laughs> I'll bring my old book. Getting it right, an insider's guide to a screenwriting career. She'll have that here for you to sign. Okay. Thank you again, Lee. Thanks you for are having awesome. me. awesome. Thanks to everybody for listening and have a good writing week. 